I'm Alexander Price, and you're listening to Machine Elf Radio. This week I'm joined by Gregory Shaw from Stonehill College. He's been on the show a few times to talk about Platonism, and uh, some of my friends and I are especially interested in understanding how we can in- engage with Plato as uh, a spiritual path that's personally meaningful. But in this episode, we're also joined by my friend Isabel, who wrote her thesis on uh, the Cora in the Timaeus, as she'll talk about. And uh, it, it turns out Greg also wrote a paper about this, which is called um, The Cora of the Timaeus and Iamblichian Theurgy. And to uh, give you just a brief description of what the Quora is. Uh, I'll just read the first couple lines of the abstract from his paper. He says, The Quora described in the Timaeus is said to be the receptacle through which the world comes into existence. In some mysterious way, she is the mother and nurse that allows the forms to become manifest. Despite being essential to the work of the Demiurge, the Cora is unknowable, Plato says, except through an illegitimate kind of reasoning, more like dreaming than thinking. So Greg and Isabel uh, had a great conversation about this, and I mostly just listened and facilitated in my own sort of, I don't know if it was a choric way, if, if I'm using the word right, but... Um, but this week's episode includes that part of the conversation, which is uh, about what the Quora is in, in the Timaeus and, and uh, what they've thought about it and what they've both written about it. Isabel, you're the, you're the one who's done a lot of work on the Timaeus. And when Alex told me that, I thought, well, that's really cool. I think the Timaeus is such a rich dialogue, such a rich text. And I'm just curious as to know... Um, what, what's been your interest and in, in, in tell me about yourself a little bit, okay? Okay. Um, so I was a classics major at Barnard. Yeah. And when I was, basically the reason why I got interested in the Timaeus was because during the senior seminar, mm-hmm. which I took my junior year, I wanted to write about the Shield of Achilles. Okay, and. Cool. Um, I was basically trying to talk about sort of the paradox of ekphrasis and things like that and how it was like a cosmos, the shield. Yes, and yes. Uh-huh. The professor for that class told me, if you want to talk about sort of um, the Greek vision of the world in a uh, philosophical way, maybe you should read the Timaeus. Yeah. And... I read the Timaeus, and then I got sort of really obsessed with it. <laughs> well, it is a pretty, it's a pretty cool dialogue. I remember the first mm-hmm. time I read it, too, and I just, I just got lost in it and just found myself, you know, really, it really made me think about, put together a lot of things. So, so you, used, you used the shield of Achilles and kind of this aesthetic sort of exploration, and it led you into uh, the mysteries of the Timaeus, more or less, right? Yeah, basically. It was, um, yeah, yeah, it was from the shield to, um, yeah, and the Cora specifically is oh, what I t- ended up focusing on. Well, that's my, that's one of my favorite topics. I mean, I, I don't know, um, I actually, the, the article that I wrote that I'm most proud of is the article uh, that I wrote about the Cora in the Timaeus. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's a cool, cool concept, and and it's and it's very. Oh, how what could I say? Um, it invites a lot of very creative sort of um, access psychologically. Um, I'd say. So cool. So you you did a lot of work on the Cora then. Yeah, my thesis was on the Cora and its reception. Its reception. Okay. Huh. Um, and how was it received and by whom did you focus on? I'm sorry if I'm taking over, no, Alex, but I find this really fascinating. Because um, I'm really so, interested in this, yeah. <laughs> so um, what I found when I was – so I read it and I was um, really trying to figure out what it was, I guess, in a somewhat concrete way at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and that sort of led me to a, a conclusion that uh, I later on realized was wrong. But my first conclusion was that it was sort of um, like a zero. Okay. Um, in the sense that it was um, sort of a necessary absence in order to uphold the dichotomy of the the forms and the sensibles. Yep, yep, okay. Um, but it also, it could just be absence. And that's the part that I later on discarded, that I don't think it's nothingness or just an absence. Um, okay. And what so, did you start to think it was? Um. I think I still don't know, frankly. <laughs> okay, that's that's the only right answer. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I have no idea. I just know it's like this fascinating sort of object that occurs in different iterations throughout literature and throughout philosophy. And I uh-huh. think yeah, we, do I, if I remember correctly, with the reception, you you talked about Jacques Derrida. Yeah, uh, I focused a lot on. His interpretation of it, which um, is very convoluted, as usual. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I'm I'm somewhat familiar with his um, book. Uh, I think he even has a book called Cora, doesn't he? Yeah, the Cora right. L works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he and... wrote with um, Peter Eisman. Okay, the architect. Uh, I didn't know that the other author, but there's a fellow who's written a lot about the Cora. He even has a book entitled Corology. And oh um, wow, yeah. Um, and I, I, I see his name slips my mind right now. I didn't, think he, but I've got it around here somewhere. His book. Um, and his sense is, and, and I think my, my, I tended to agree with him, is that. Mm, the Cora is this kind of, at least as I sort of imagined it, um, non-conceptual space or non-conceptual mm-hmm. reality that allows all of the um, intelligibles to um, come into existence. And, mm-hmm. and without it, there is nothing, uh, which is all standard from the Timaeus. But um, I, I uh, actually, I wrote a piece... Um, comparing the Cora to the principle of the receptacle in uh, Neoplatonic theurgy, that, uh-huh. that it's, it functions like a receptacle in the sense that it receives the forms and then transmits them to the world. Mm-hmm. And my, my speculation was that um, 
one way that the later Platonists engage the Korah is that they become the Korah in a sense and allow the forms to sort of be received directly by themselves in their imagined Korah space and and participate in the creation of the universe um, in that sense. Um, so they ritualized uh-huh. it. That's, that's what I did with it, um, which was probably consistent with some of the Neoplatonic um, speculation about it. But mm-hmm. I suspect that most classics professors um, might not be comfortable with it. But I don't know. It depends which classics professor you're talking about. Yeah, that's sort of what my thesis focused on was in, um, how divided it, the interpretation was between, I guess, what you could call it, the analytic philosophers, which yeah. might be what you mean with a classics yeah, professor. Yeah, the analytic types, right, exactly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And sort of the continentalists, which in my case was Derrida and a little bit of um, Judith Butler and mm-hmm. Rigore mm-hmm. and Kristeva. Well, I think that um, I would be much more uh, interested in, in the latter group of, of thinkers because I think they kind of get into the creativity of, of what the Platonists were interested in anyway. Um, but that's my yeah, bias. I definitely what? agree with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I feel like there was a moment where the, a lot of the discussion around it is, um, is it matter? Is it space? Is it a combination of both? And then hmm. it's a long discussion of terminology, which of course is important, but it is also goes way beyond that. Uh, yeah, it does. And what we mean by space and matter it may not be at all what was understood at the time um, in in the tradition itself. I mean, we think mm-hmm. of you know we have different ways of understanding it based on our our science, I guess you could say. Alex, yes. what, what what have you been on to these days? I just, uh, you know, sat down and reviewed Timaeus for the first time in a while, and uh, um, I, I really enjoyed, like, I, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, his ideas about the triangles, and I don't didn't understand that, and I hope someday to be able to, uh, like, uh, uh, try and work through, like, uh, uh, his ideas about, you know, the human. Is that the part about the elements? Uh, I, I mean, there was a long section. I mean, like in the beginning, he's, he, uh, uh, you know, we, we get the idea of, uh, I guess, you know, what we were going to be talking about, about the, 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 the spheres or, or circles inside the individual coming into alignment with the, uh, um, outer ones. But then, uh, in, uh, he, you know, there's another long section that goes into what I thought were like the uh, the origin of the Platonic forms. Is that correct? That that's what that section is about. Uh, I mean, there's a long section on geometry, and it sounds very Pythagorean. And, mm-hmm. and I think that somewhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about it was about the the generation of the different elements and interlocking triangles that, you know. It seems it just seems like uh, uh, the geometry of it, and uh, understanding like what he's saying with with the, with the geometry, it would take some real uh, con- concerted effort. 
Well, you know, there's about as many different ways of unpacking that as you can find different scholars and different traditions. All right. Um, I don't know. Maybe, um, Isabel, you've, you've dived into that and gotten some mileage out of it. Um, probably you have. I, I haven't really been able to... Uh, to really master all of the geometric and the mathematical ratios of the Timaeus. Oh, I have I have tried. I think the farthest I have gotten is more in um, so comparing. I mean, if if what you're talking about is when he, he when Timaeus talks about the uh, um, the traces or the somata, sort of the bodies that enter the receptacle. And then he describes them as having sort of geometrical. So it's uh, the four elements. Right. Oh, Each of right, them have right. a certain composition. Like, I don't remember exactly which one was which, but yeah. one of them is like an icosahedron. The other one is just this uh, cube. And they combine, and that's how they become what we see. And. Uh -huh. um, I think the farthest I have gone is more to um, compare that to Aristotle's definition of matter, the ule, yeah. the ule where he yeah. talks about how how they it somehow shares in the um, sort of in the world of the forms insofar as it has geometry, mm. like mm. geometry combined with um, sort of sensible matter in that sense. But no, yeah. I have not gone so too far into the whole ratio of, especially the Pythagorean ratios. I have yeah, tried, it's pretty, but it's dense. It's dense. Mm -hmm. um, I did find the name of that book that and the author. Um, it, his, the author's name is John Salas. S A L L I S. Salas. Okay. And um, he's written quite a bit on the role of the Kora, and he's got a book called Chorology. And uh -huh. the sub subtitle of it is On Beginning in Plato's Timaeus. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a very, um, well, he's um, one of those kind of thinkers that is along the line of who you've already mentioned. I, I don't know quite how to characterize those thinkers, but they're very, very intuitive and um, follow. He's, you know, re reflecting on Proclus and Gadamer and Derrida and Plotinus mm -hmm. and it's kind of like pulling it all together. He teaches at, um, I guess, Pennsylvania State. I didn't realize uh, that, but um, he's good. He knows his stuff. He's really, he's really um, an interesting writer. So he traces it mostly through other philosophers, like direct reception, sort of. Um, how would I put it? Um, he's trying to invite us to see. That the Kora is a, is a kind of condition of awareness, you could even say, through which the universe comes into existence. He, if, if I could put it in my own words, I'd say to some degree he psychologizes it or he finds, um, he uses the Timaeus as not so much a description of the outer world, but a, a description of, of the soul itself. So, uh, and the world soul, and then therefore mm -hmm. our souls, and, and it, he, I think he gets at it in that way. Uh, so the Korah then has a, um, 
correspondence, you could say, to to us. And uh, that's that's the sense I got from reading a John Fat. Yeah, I definitely when I first read the Timaeus, mm. um, I felt like there was a strong parallel between the Cora and the part when um, Timaeus talks about what it is like to be in a sort of when you're dreaming and you close your eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you'd like you you'd s- like Salas because he uses that as a metaphor to to get at it. Uh, yeah, and that part, yeah, it's sort of saying that it's almost like the Cora is an object of that can only be comprehended through intuition, almost that you can only intuit, you can never really truly formulate what it is exactly. You can't think it right. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's um, what is it? Uh, uh, it's like only a bastard kind of reasoning could access it, and mm-hmm. and Proclus um, refers to that kind of reasoning as the highest level that the soul can reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is and kind is of that? interesting. Well, because it has direct access to the intelligibles. Uh-huh. And that's what the soul, at least for those Neoplatonists, wanted to do would be to recover our root, which is in the intelligibles. Uh-huh. Uh, and and so the Korah is that which is closest to them because it's only through the Korah that that we even know about the intelligibles. Uh huh. Sort of, yeah. it's the connector or um, it, sort it of is the, the path. connector. Mm-hmm. Right. And the interesting thing is that uh, the part of ourselves that that's like the Korah is, in a sense, passive. Um, mm-hmm. Not active, but passive. That's why you, you said. As this dreamlike reasoning, um, we're carried uh, into it, but we don't we don't grasp it, so to speak. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Similarly to how the Korah is moved by that which enters it, but it never itself moves. Well, that's right. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I think John Salas he has this very interesting way of characterizing the Korah. And he says, suppose, I'm going to read it to you for one second here. Mm-hmm. Suppose that one were to distinguish the Korah from place, that is to say topos, mm-hmm. by thinking of it, Korah, as an instituting operation, as the operation by which something like a place would first open up. And in this guise, it would be a happening, an occurrence, not something done, for instance, by a subject. So it's kind of elusive language, but he's trying to open us up to a different way of imagining um, the Korah, but also imagining ourselves uh, through that symbol of the Korah. Oh, I like that. And it reminds me of also the part where sort of Timaeus gets into the semantics of, of how we should speak of the sensible world. Yeah, um, and how he says that everything should be described sort of as since everything is always in a constant state of flux, we can yes. never say that. For example, fire is fire, or or fire or, light. Right, right, right. Something such as fire, or That's, yeah, right. Because well, it's sort of trying to describe that sense of movement that is always happening. Uh, but, right. Um, or or of change, 
And but then he goes on to describe the he says that the Cora can be the only thing that we can call this or that, meaning that it has permanence. Yeah, um, it, it has permanence in the mm-hmm. sense that, it, but but we can't describe it in any way whatsoever. Uh huh. And you it's also that? the sort of within the in the only sort of it's sort of saying that the the Cora is the only sort of thing that we can call sort of a subject or of the sensible world, but at the same time. It is a subject in which the flux is happening. Yeah. So it's well, sort of hiding, I guess, behind. So you're you're really attracted to it, and and you've read um, these figures um, from the continental philosophy who that that get um, a kind of um, a deep connection to it. That that mm-hmm. I guess it's philosophical um, and yeah, psychological. I, my interest in it also ha, um, relates to a Buddhist notion of shunyata, you know, the emptiness. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if you have any interest in in comparative sort of um, material like that. A friend of mine actually just sent me a lot of stuff to read about shunyata. Okay. Because well, she said I would definitely be in, interested in that. <laughs> yes, because the correspondence. Um, is there to the core, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. Shiva, Shiva, Mahadev. 